This episode of Nothing Important Happened Today is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nothing. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Where did I park my car? Oh, no. Hello, Peter. Oh, no. <laughs> How you doing? Um, where did I park my car? One of my playlists of all, like, all, my all-time favorite uh, music mm-hmm. is called Oh No, Where Did I Park My Car? Really? Yeah, from that sound clip. Huh. I just love it so much. Like, What should I call this? They're all favorite songs. Ah, oh No, Where Did I Park My Car? So, so wait, is this a, a playlist or a song or what are we talking about? Here? It's a playlist on Spotify, sorry. Ah, ah I wasn't clear enough. Ah, okay. No, not my favorite song in the whole world. It's mm-hmm. not called Oh No, Where Do I Park My Car? Well, no, because that would be weird. Yes, it would, but it, mm. it's, there should be a song. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Indeed. So, how's you been doing? I've been okay. You've been okay. Yeah, I've been okay. Misa, happy to hear you okay. Misa, happy. Uh, yeah, I've been good. Hmm. All right, then. How have you been? Uh, well, ups and downs, really. Uh, really much to do at work right now. And I'm, I'm working on a new uh, design for PsyCon and so on. Or not a new design, but, you know, working on new features and functionality and so on. Right. Um, and stuff, really. Um, you know, ups and downs everywhere, really. Mainly ups, but, you know, some downs, some downs. All right, tell us about it. Tell us an up, at least. You don't have to tell us about the downs if you don't feel like it, but tell us about an up. An up. Well, one of the, the bigger ups of the past couple of days and weeks and so on is that I'm, I'm finally finding motivation for uh, training again. Right. That's good. Yeah, we, we mentioned this two weeks ago when we were talking about training and so on. And the thing that really had to happen for me was not, you know, going back to the gym and lifting weights and so on, but really just discovering... Um, calisthenics and uh, you know body weight exercises and uh, athletics and flexibility and so on because that's where I feel that I have the the biggest gains to to gain so to speak because yeah. it, it's easy to go to the gym and then just you know slap on another five pounds on your bench press every now and again and slap on another five pounds on your deadlift every now and again you know the, sure the numbers get bigger yay but with yeah. calisthenics it's like I can't do this movement. I can't do this movement. Oh, wait, now I'm able to slightly do this movement and so on until you, you know, you, you can perfect the movement. And then there's like another movement that you can't do. And the progress is so much more um, obvious because, I mean, once you've done a deadlift, you're, you're just adding numbers, really. No. You're, you're not, you know, performing a brand new exercise that you couldn't do a year ago. But here, you know, um, like a one-handed handstand with a press or something. Yeah, I can't do that shit. But maybe in a year and a half, then I will. So, right. so it's you know, it's, it's it's a lot of fun in a completely different way. And in the meantime, you'll send me Instagram videos. Yes, of people doing impressive uh, exercises. Yeah, that guy with the triceps press. Oh yeah, my god. Yeah. Oh my god. I'll, I'll see if I can find him again and put him in the show notes because that was. I have this thing where I I really like it when people are really good at something. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can get teary-eyed listening to somebody who's good at singing or, you know, um, I, I can get, 
my my jaw drops if I see somebody who does something amazing, mm. and this guy who who does a full body uh, tricep press, he's he's okay. He's standing on his hands, and then he goes down all the way into a um, uh, a very compressed position with his head tucked under himself and his arms folded, and then he pushes himself up using his triceps, which is wow. That, that's you know that's not even supposed to be able to happen. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and he does they, a perfect L sit in the air as well as you do that does this, and then he, you know, he ends it off with you know, hey, why not do a little bit of a breakdance routine at the end? Yeah, <laughs> like the detail. I hate you. Uh, we hate him. Yeah. One day. Hated when our we hated when our friends become successful. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. strangers on the internet. Yeah, that's even we worse. We hate them too. Yeah, oh, yeah. we hate that's all of them. Almost worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest yeah. down, of course, this uh, past couple of uh, weeks has really been uh, my dog, who's um, developed a uh, herniated disc in his spine. Aww. So he um, he woke me up about three weeks ago by screaming in pain, which is never a good thing to experience. No, I can imagine. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Dogs are usually fairly stoic creatures. You know, even if they hurt, they just go, oh, it hurts. Oh, well, I'll just limp a little then. Yeah. Uh, but here he was actually screaming in pain as he was getting up from a lying down position. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, I took him to the vet. They uh, examined him, pushed and prodded, and he complained when they were pushing in certain places and he didn't complain in other places. So they were like, yeah, this is probably a herniated disc. It doesn't seem serious because, you know, he still has um, a feeling all the way down in his toes and so on. So if I squeeze his toes when he's not looking, he looks back to see what I'm doing. So, you know, he's not losing any sensibility, uh, sensitivity or anything, uh, but there is pain. So um, he's now on painkillers and anti-inflammatory medication. And has been told to relax for the next two weeks. Uh, he's okay. already been relaxing for about a week and a half now. Uh, so no long walks, no stairs, no jumping up into couches or beds and so on. Just, you know, lie down, then go outside for a quick walk to do his business and then go back inside. Okay. That's, that's his entire life for these next two weeks. And if, if it's still not better after that, um, then they'll have to uh, do an x-ray or a CAT scan, which I still think should be called a dog scan in this situation. But, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. decide these things. No. Uh, and then they uh, will see what to do next. Maybe surgery, maybe heavier medication, maybe um, some sort of rehab training or something. I don't know. Let's hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a sad state of affairs all around. Yeah, that's a downer. Yeah, really is. Really is. But, you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, he's a dog and he's nine years old now. So it would be strange if he's not experiencing some sort of age-related health concerns. Right, but no, still, it's true. you know you, you don't want it to happen, but you're not surprised when it does happen. No, mm. that is sadly true. Yeah, sad. my cat is just being fat. <laughs> how how old is your cat now? She's seven. Seven, and she's fat, and she doesn't have her own Instagram account. She does not because I live by the philosophy that animals should not have Instagram accounts. I because I, you know why. Why? Because they t- can't take photographs. I'm, I'm sure I could teach my dog to take pictures. I, I, I get easily ticked off at people who sign. I'm not sure if I complained about this before, but people who sign like Christmas cards and birthday cards and stuff like that. And they write their names of their whole family and then they add the pet name. Yeah. It's insane. That or babies. Mm. If the person in question can't write his own, his or her own name, then don't put the name on there. 
Maybe if they can talk. Yeah, okay, I can see that. If they can talk, so they can actually communicate. If they can call me by my name and they know that the card is going to me, then it's fine. Hmm. Otherwise, it's like they don't care. Like a friend of mine, it's it was Mother's Day in the U.S. just the other week, and it's Mother's Day is coming up here in Sweden. And a friend of mine, he got a text message from his wife saying that their son wanted him to get this kimono for her. Oh. And their son is two. Okay. It just, it, it bugs me. And, and it's completely uncalled for. Yeah, I, I don't get that either. Th- this is obviously a, some kind of joke. Sure. But it just bugs me. And I, I've never been able to really explain why. It's just, it's just so annoying. Mm. If they can't communicate, they can't communicate. Like your dog can't take his own pictures. No, no, of course and he, not. You write it as in first person, or yes, yes. That that's what you know, it, it's even one step up. Hmm. Like here's an Instagram off my dog, but here's my dog's Instagram. That's two completely different things. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Ricky. You suck. Yeah. I love your dog. Yeah. Okay. And I love seeing pictures of him on your Instagram. So, so <laughs> no way. when I post a picture to lock the dog on Instagram, and I say I made a new friend today, and I have a picture of the dog with another dog, you, you, you're not happy. No, I'd never watch that. Mm. I just nope the hell out of there. No, straight away. I don't know. So, but so if you, you put up a picture on your Instagram, and you said. Locke made a new friend today because mm-hmm. I guess they have some form of weird concept of perhaps friendship. Yeah, you know, something on those lines at least. Uh, then it'd be fine. But what if I make extra cute language and, and, and say like, some mornings my person is extra slow at getting ready for walksies. Then I'd kill you. Really? I'd go to Stockholm and slap the shit out of you. But, but that was like extra cute. And I'm not a physically aggressive person. But I was, I was intentionally I, being extra cute. Yes, and I think you're a bad person for it. But what if he's like hanging out with a cat and I write hanging with my homies? Isn't that cool? Then I'd have to shoot you and the kneecap. Oh. Maybe both. That really sucks. Just to make sure. I, I actually met a, a, a couple with a dog uh, the other day. Um, I was down at the um, doggy um, uh, park or dog park. And um, there was another husky there. And uh, I had my camera with me, so I took a bunch of pictures and we were talking. And they were like, oh, nice. Um, My uh, Lexi, uh, was the name of the dog, uh, has her own Instagram, which you can find here. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. My dog has his own Instagram too over at Lock the Dog and so on. So I, I, I snapped a bunch of pictures of the two of them together because they were, you know, huskies, both of them. And I, I love seeing other huskies. And they said, oh, can you send me the pictures later? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll uh, get in touch with you over Instagram and we'll talk details. So I um I emailed them or sorry I sent the um, um, a PM over Instagram uh, day after or something and said hi um so uh, where can I email the pictures? They have their own email address for the dog. No, the dog has her own email address. She does not. She she does. No, because there there is an email address has, with the has... name of the dog at outlook.com. Please tell me that's their private email. No, that no, no, they no. Just named after the dog. No, 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 no. That is the dog's own personal email address. So if you need to get in touch with the dog, if that is the email address to use, 
Don't tell me they answer like if it's the dog that answers. I didn't get a, re- uh, a reply when I sent the pictures. Thank God. If they do, oh yeah, I will. I will. Um, I'll have a seizure. Spread it somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I'd have a seizure. Yeah, yeah, not not good. I froth out of mouth. Mm. And post pictures of myself on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. God, that's horrible. I don't know why it ticks me off so much. I really don't know. I can't. I can't explain it. It just does. I'm, for I'm some just reason. waiting for the day you're, when you you're a, a father and you you give your son or daughter their own Instagram account. You know what? You know what? When I have a child, I'm gonna post so many pictures on Facebook. Mm. I'm just gonna bomb the shit out of Facebook with picture of my 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 child, especially when they're so small that they don't they just look like every other baby, <laughs> and I'm the only one who can tell the difference. Yeah. I'm just gonna so many pictures, man. All the pictures. And look, but look. He moved his arm right upwards. Look, look he's smiling like, again, just like he yes, did or, two hours ago. But he, <laughs> yeah, here's his four o'clock smile. Mm. This I'm is gonna, this. I just changed I'm the gonna, diaper smile. I'm going to take my revenge on everyone who's yeah. had a child since 2004, which would be first year of Facebook. Mm. I, I have a good friend who um, she recently had her first child. Um, this was. Um, um, about half a year ago to a year ago, uh, late last year, sometime like August, September. I don't remember the exact date. But she made the very clever decision that she would only post one picture of her child on Instagram per day on her own account. But she right. did create an account for the child, not posting as the child. So it's not like, Google goo gaga, here I am pooping my pants. You know, it's, it's nothing like <laughs> no. that. But she posted an account that would only contain child pictures. So those of her friends who are interested in seeing pictures of his uh, of this child as he grows up, they can follow that account. If they want to continue following her life as per usual, then they just continue following her normal account and they get up to one picture of the baby every day. I still think one picture of the baby a day is hard to swallow, but I have my weird... It's it's not one picture, it's zero or one. She never goes above one is basically what she said. Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. So these okay. past couple of days, I, I, for example, it's been a lot about, you know, the, the spring and uh, the weather and, you know, the, the new apartment that they've just bought and so on. So no. there, it hasn't been as much about the baby on her personal account. But her other account, the, the baby account, still gets, you know, two or three posts a day of the baby. Okay, I can buy that. That's a brilliant way of doing it. I, I love it. Love it's, it's it. really, really clever. It's a great way for better people like me. Uh, to avoid the baby pictures as much as possible. Exactly. exactly. I have weird Instagram tics as well. Yeah? What, um, what kind? If you post more than three pictures in a row, you're being annoying. It kind of depends on the no. scenario, though, doesn't no, it? No, it does not depend on the scenario. If oh. I scroll by something, mm-hmm. even if it's like a party and there's 100 people there, if I scroll down and it's three pictures in a row from you, I get annoyed. But what if it's like, I just ran into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here's a picture of him licking my cheek. Here's a picture of him punching me. And here's a third picture of me carrying him on my shoulders. That's Those are three you, hilarious pictures. That's when you use diptych or something. Oh, yeah, to cut I those suppose. pictures together into one picture. I don't know why I'm like, because it takes like half, less than half a second to just scroll past it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's something in my brain going, ah, 
last three pictures in a row. Stop it. Stop spamming me. But what if it's like a, an artist that's uh, posting three new paintings that she's drawn? And she's like, these are the three paintings that I painted this past week. Then post them on separate days or wait a couple of hours. Okay. Yeah, that, that I can actually understand. Using something like Buffer or something to uh, prolong the time between them. Yes. Because that's fine. If there's one or two pictures, uh, preferably two pictures in between. Right. So most of us follow enough people for that to be like within the hour, there's probably been like a few pictures posted. Mm -hmm. Then you can post again. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm being like really anal about it, but there, there's something. And I hate, I actually follow a, a couple of people that I think I'm going to unfollow because I know when I see the first picture, I know that there's going to be three or four more. Something that I wish Instagram had, which I haven't seen in the official app, but I think I've seen it in uh, unofficial Instagram apps, is the ability to mute someone for a specific amount of time. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So if somebody's like at a concert or somebody's um, at a music festival or something, you can immediately say, all right, I want to mute, mute this person for the next six hours because I know that there's going to be a lot of drunken pictures of just garbage. Um, yeah. And then, you know, after yeah. that time has passed, then, you know, they, they start appearing happen. again. I'd probably, if I'd gone to music festivals, which I haven't done in 10 years, and I'll probably never go again, uh, I'd probably post like one, maximum of one picture per day. Yeah. I, I think I, don't, I would do I, don't, I would take a lot of pictures, but I would probably yes, pick my sure. favorites to post. Yeah, exactly. Like, I post very, very rarely. Yeah, Instagram. you really do. And I've, yeah. I've cut down so much. I, I haven't, you know, I've hardly posted at all these past three, four weeks or something. I mean, if I look at my profile, there was one picture. Um, oh, it's, it doesn't. Yeah, May 8th. And then the one before that was May 7th. The one before that was April 15th. The one before that was April 10th. So in the yeah. past two months or so, I've posted four pictures. Yeah, and I've had... There was like six weeks in between my two last pictures. Yeah. Which I, I get like self-conscious if I post on Facebook two days in a row. I, I kind of get that too. Um, I've, I've still, even gone see, to the point where I do that same thing for, uh, for Twitter. I, I hardly post on Twitter at all anymore. No, you don't. No. You have your bots talking for you. Uh, yes, I have my bots. Did, did we mention the other bot in our last episode? Yeah, we did. We did, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Machiavelli. Yeah. Machiavelli Lama. We talked about the Dalai Lama, remember? Right. Yes. Right. Our favorite subject, Dalai Lama Twitter feed. <laughs> Let's not talk about that again. I, I just have to say that my, my favorite Machiavelli uh, Lama post was posted uh, just recently. He said, um, all religions agree that we cannot start and make progress now. That is good. It's a very good line because, good you know, that, that I think religions should agree on this. Yeah. Mm. And we keep coming back to the bots. Let's not, let's try to avoid them. Let's avoid the bots. Yeah. Mm. Let's avoid the bots, even though I really want to read a tweet by the postmodern. Um, the one about Iran? Yes. Okay. I'm going to read it because uh, <laughs> it's brilliant. Is the postmodern saying, thought is freedom in relation to events in Iran, Amazing. which is just brilliant. It, just, man. it doesn't man. get much better than that, really. No, he's reached peak the postmodern now. Yeah, he's reached uh, peak postmodernism. Yeah. Mm. I'll include and, a link to that, uh, that tweet and the, uh, the other one. We actually had a request. We, been, we told people quite a few times last two weeks ago. I mean, 
uh, to uh, hit us up on Twitter, or I did. Mm-hmm. So if you have a comment, since you can't comment on PsyCon, you can always uh, go to Twitter and tweet us at I'm at PetterM and Brecky is at Breckett. Uh, to actually request to talk more about ourselves, because we've kind of, we talked about this uh, last episode, we, we've kind of drifted away from, we had a fairly clear concept of what we were going to do. We, we did. And then we kind of deviated, and we never went back. And I can feel this episode kind of going into that again, deviating well, away from... Well, there's been a lot of talk about us and the things that we do in our feelings and thoughts about things and but yes you're, you're absolutely right that we we did deviate a a bunch for uh, for a couple of episodes there and we kind of came back to it when we were talking about um singularitarianism and so on yeah. Yeah. uh but yes we we've been pretty bad at it yeah we have yeah and yeah. we we did have okay. an idea for a topic this episode or rather i did um yeah. which is personal life philosophies yeah yeah and um, just the way that we approach life and um, the kind of things that we try to measure ourselves and the world around us against right. as, we, uh, as we live our lives. Yeah. Would you say that there's any one thing that you try to ask yourself before making important decisions or doing things or, you know, um, uh, prioritization or something? You know, is, is there any one thing that you think is you know, more important to you than other things? It, it's a difficult question to state, and I'm guessing it's probably an even more difficult question to answer. I don't... I want to... You were the guy who came up with this subject. Right, yeah. Pass it Pass it back, why don't you? I'm passing that one back, because uh, one, I need to think about it, and two, I need to kind of conceptualize the whole thing. Yeah. So, is there any one thing, man, that you think about when you make decisions or prioritizations or... Uh... Well, we kind of talked about this back in the day. I, I don't remember exactly which episode, but it was probably episode six, uh, Giving Birth to the Shit Baby, uh, where I was talking about how more and more I'm beginning to realize that my life centers around educating and entertaining other people. Right. Um, and yeah, the, sh- the shit baby. Yeah, it, it was in the shit baby episode, wasn't it? Um, educating and entertaining. That's, that's really, you know, that's what I do. Um, right. And, and if, I, if I have the possibility to educate or entertain someone, then that's what I'll be doing. And right. I've, I've started realizing more and more that this extends to more than just education and entertaining. It, it just refers to um, helping people and improving their state in whatever way that I can, unless it has to do with, you know, giving them money or, or stuff like that. I, I, for me, it has to do with far more concrete things, you know, listening to them and offering suggestions or, um, giving them, um, a thing that they need rather than just, you know, here's a bit of money, buy yourself happiness. It it doesn't work that way for me. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's a life philosophy as such, Mm -hmm. you know, their Buddhism comes in far more, you know, I'm, uh, I'm what I call a um, a uh, non-religious Buddhist, so I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in reincarnation, but I do believe in the eightfold path, and you know things like meditation, right speech, right thought, and so on are are very important for a good life. Right. Um, so that is probably where I would draw the line for life philosophy, as in the eightfold path. Yeah. Uh, 
But again, it, it's very difficult to just nail it down and say, yes, this is what I do. This is what I believe and so on. Uh, but the closest thing would have to be Eightfold Path, especially when it comes to um, the ethical conduct part of it. You know, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Huh. So can you elaborate? Sure. Um, yeah, the, the best way I could probably elaborate is to explain what they are. Uh, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Uh, yeah. Or at least how I interpret them. Because, you know, this is Buddhism after all. And it, it's taken a long time to develop into what it is. And there are different interpretations. But uh, right speech is basically uh, not lying, not spreading rumors, not, you know, gossiping, not um, idle chatter. But, you know, trying to make sure that when you talk, you're actually saying something of importance and of uh, relevance rather than just like, oh my God, I was like totally doing the thing. And then she was like, oh my God. And I was like, oh my God. And he was like, totally, dude. You know, that's not right speech. Um, no. And neither is, you know, lying or I hope that's not rules. what we're doing on uh, Nothing Important Hump today. No, I don't think it is. Um, I, I think even though we, we very often, you know, delve into... Uh, nonsense it's not <laughs> unfactual it's not untrue and i don't think it's unbeneficial um you know most of what we say is still factual true and possibly or probably or hopefully uh beneficial and it can even be endearing to other people uh, it can be agreeable for other people to listen to right um i i, I forget exactly where it is but th there's something where um um if somebody knows that something is, um, I have to look this up. Hold on. Um, yes, here. Um, in the case of the words that the Tagatha knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, unendearing, and disagreeable to others, he does not say them. In the case of words that the Tagatha knows to be factual, true, yet unbeneficial, unendearing, and disagreeable, he does not say them. And then there's, you know, a continuing list of this. And uh, then it ends with, um, in the case of the words that the Tathagata knows to be, uh, tathagata, sorry, tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, and endearing, and agreeable to others, he has a sense of the proper time for saying them. Right. Uh, and this, this basically has to do with just, you know, feeling sympathy for other living beings and knowing that words hurt, you know. Sure, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a great expression, but words do hurt, you know. Yeah. They really do. Um, the, the other one, uh, after right speech, is right action, which is basically, you know, don't kill people. Don't steal things. Don't have, um, um, well, they, they include sexual misconduct, which is a really hard thing to define, you know, as long as both people are adults who agree to whatever, then I don't think it's misconduct, even though certain Buddhist traditions absolutely would. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm not a monk, so I don't have to um, abstain from unchastity. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's essentially right action. You know, just be morally upright in your activities, not acting in ways that are corrupt to yourself or others. Right. Essentially. And the, the last one is uh, right livelihood, which is probably the easiest one of them all to follow. Uh, you, you just distance yourselves from earning money from things that hurt others. So, you know, you don't do business in weapons. You don't do business in slave trading or prostitution. You don't right. do business in meat being, uh, you know, uh, killing animals, uh, slaughtering animals and selling their meat. You don't do business in intoxicants, whether that's alcohol or drugs or poison or so on. 
Right. And and to an ex- to the extent that possible, uh, I I even don't trade in stock that uh, deal in these kind of things. Um, so it, it's very difficult for me, for example, to buy stock in just normal uh, convenience stores because they trade in meat and intoxicants. So I try to avoid that and stay to you know maybe pure tech stocks or um, oil, gold, and other <clears> things <throat> like that. It, it's right. not always you know easy, but I, I try at least. Um, stuff like that and that that all comes down to right livelihood right so, yeah, so those are life philosophies in my way uh and then of course there's the entire you know concentration the right effort right mindfulness and right concentration but they're, they're less to do with um my um the way that i choose to live my life and they're more to do with you know how i choose to um, um develop as a a spiritual being in a way i suppose Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I just want to remind you that this podcast, Nothing Important Happened Today, is supported by Audible. And right now they're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I would recommend the book called Buddhism for Busy People, written by David Mikey. It's only about six and a half to about six hours, 45 minutes long, somewhere thereabouts. And, you know, with all the things cut out, and if you listen to it at 1.5 speed, you'll get through it in about four hours. It's a great book. It's beautifully written, simple. It opens the door to the core teachings of Tibetan Buddhism. It's funny, and it's all about how this author himself incorporated Buddhist practices into his daily life. And to me, that book was a lot more interesting to learn things from rather than just a normal, you know, this is what Buddhism is, this is when it began, this is what the Buddha said, and so on. It's just a, a simple, profound book about a guy's journey towards Buddhism. So if you want to download this book, or any other book for that matter, just go to audibletrial.com slash nothing. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nothing for your free audiobook and your free 30-day trial. So uh, what about you? Uh, where, where would you land on this? Do you, have you had enough time to think as I plather on with my not right speech? Right. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, speech. Uh, right speech, indeed. Um, let's see how to, how to put this in uh, the easiest way. Um, most people don't, Probably you know, we we've I've skirted around the issues a couple of times, um, but I am a thelemite, which is basically uh, a follower of the religion religion slash philosophy thelema, mm-hmm. founded by uh, a man called Alistair Crowley, which we definitely talked about. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was all in episode one. Yeah, a lot of that was in episode one, and I've come back to Crowley a couple of times. Um, but yeah, it was founded by, by a man called Alistair Crowley uh, in 1904. Uh, basically built around what could be seen as a sacred text called the Book of the Law. Right. And I kind of skirt around the issue of it being a religion because it's complicated. It really is. And in, in many ways, it's complicated in the same way that Buddhism is. Because yeah. even though there are supernatural aspects of it, it really boils down to... Um, using the supernatural aspect to convey a philosophy, right? But I, even, I, I, even though Thelema does have more supernatural aspects in the philosophy than Buddhism has, in my opinion. But yeah, but yes, yeah, up to a point. But I, exactly. I say that um, I probably classify Thelema mostly as a religion, 
but having a very strong philosophical point that you could apply without actually getting into the religion itself. Right. And most Thelemites, you know, they, they avoid strongly dogmatic or strongly fundamentalist thinking uh, as much as possible. Yes. Because it gets, that gets complicated really fast. Yes, it really does. Uh, because the basis of the Thelemic law is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, which kind of, you know, makes it tricky with dogma in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we should probably point out at this point that do what thou wilt does not mean, you know, go out no. and do whatever the fuck you want. No, there's also that. <laughs> uh, th- that also gets complicated uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. But basically what, what Crowley talks about is, uh, when it comes to do what thou wilt to be the whole of the law is finding an inner will, a, what he calls a true will. Mm-hmm. Like what you really want to do in... Either some people have interpreted that as, you know, finding your one purpose in life and doing that. Others kind of what you really want to do in any given situation. Right. My my interpretation of the the true will was always, you know, assume that God has a plan for humanity. What is your role to play in that plan? You know, whether, whether that is, you know, a supernatural Christian God or whatever, but assume that there is a plan. What is your role to play in that plan? You can do a lot of things, but you're meant to do one thing. What is that one thing? That was how I interpreted it back in the days. Right. I've moved away from that kind of interpretation. Mm-hmm. I've kind of moved towards not that kind of... Because some people fall into that the, the when it comes to true will and it comes to plan of God or just use an expression, but also kind of... You know, in a bigger picture, like what I want to be a painter, I want to be a poet, I want to be an author, I want to be a, a rock star, I want to be, a, you know, an accountant, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing, but that kind of thinking. I've gone, I moved away from that. I used to when I got into the Lima first, like, shit, soon 20 years ago. Right. It's been ages. And that, yeah, it's been ages. And that, that was kind of where my philosophy, philosophy was as well. But I've kind of moved away from that more to, uh, what is beyond everything that you are, uh, beyond kind of all the facades and all the phobias and traumas and, and all that stuff, that all the baggage that we have, uh, beyond that, you know, the emptiness in the middle of all that. Mm. And let that kind of try to let that direct you in a much less, you know, judgmental, much more sand kind of way. I don't believe in the har- any harmony of the universe. But uh, if we go just, back to uh, to um, definitions and terms and so on, would you say in that case that finding the true will is the great work, uh, and is is the great work just the gradual yeah. peeling away of the uh, yeah. of the facade, as you called it? Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I moved to. Uh, Peter Carroll sure. talks about that in uh, a similar. Now Peter Carroll is a chaos magician, mm-hmm. uh, but he kind of talks about these various masks that we put on depending on the situation we're in you know, family or friends or strangers or work or school or whatever, they kind of, you know, the, the we become a certain persona or certain traits of our personality comes out more when we're comfortable or when we're, yeah, as I said, with our family compared to strangers, etc. Where, where did you talk behind, about this? Because I, I don't remember it. Um, it's either in Liber Null or in Sci- No, no, Psychonaut Liber Null is the same book. Yes, yeah, so uh, Liber Chaos is the, the other one, probably. Which one? Uh, Liber Chaos. Yeah, yeah. 
Maybe. Oh, shit. I gave away my Peter Carroll books like right. 15 years ago. Right. Because, I mean, those those were his two early books, you know, 1970, I late think 70s, Liber- early 90s. With a K. Yeah. Like, with a K. Yeah, I think it's Liber-, Liber K. It's either in Liber or in uh, Liber K. Did you ever read any of his more recent books? Because he's written two, bo- uh, three books since 2008. No, I haven't. I haven't actually read anything beyond those two. Okay. Uh, I semi-enjoyed Peter Carroll. He's an interesting character. He's interesting. He goes into math and physics and stuff. Yeah. Which kind of gets in my mind, or back then, got silly after a while. Mm-hmm. Kind of trying to, you know, m- make math out of chaos magic. He just didn't work for me. But anyway, uh, he talks about all these facades, and beyond that, in the middle sits the true self. Right. And I kind of agree more with that from a do what I will to be the whole the law perspective. That beyond all that stuff, all that all, you know, everything that's ever made an impression on us. Uh, beyond that is is closer to our true self. And we can, in, in many situations, we can tap into that and see more clearly uh, what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. Mm-hmm. And Padula Wilch is also, there's also a second part, which is love is the law, love and the will. Right. So all actions should also be guided by some form of love, love for humanity or love for existence or love for the world. So it's not a, it's not a, like many forms of Buddhism, especially religious Buddhism, you know, uh, getting rid of, of suffering and stuff like everything is suffering. You know, that, yeah, that, we can talk that, about that because I, I have several opinions on the everything is suffering quote. Yeah. Yeah, it just uh, and uh, you just boil it down to the basics. Like mm-hmm. everything is suffering. Thelema sees it differently. Like Thelema sees everything as rapture, as 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 beautiful, uh, as something uh, to be experienced. Right. It doesn't. Most of the time, it doesn't turn away from reality, so to speak. So it's not. There are certain techniques and, and certain organizations and certain parts of it that, that many like magical retreats and stuff where people actually shy away from society, but they don't shy away from reality. Like reality is a very important part of that. Mm-hmm. So even though I talk about the true self beyond everything, it's still the magic of, of being. Like if you look at, at like older religions, like Christianity, for example, just an example of what I mean is, that for Christianity, the savior was Jesus, right? Yeah, obviously. So the divinity came from Jesus. So the happiness came from Jesus. Like we're stuck in this mortal flesh and the only way to get somewhere better is by going to heaven. And the only way we can go to heaven is through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And but, death. And death. Right. But nobody, kind of, nobody's, uh, nobody ascends bodily anymore. No, exactly. So Thelema kind of twists that around and says every man and every woman is a star. Uh, that is also a quote from Book of the Law, by the way. Mm-hmm. And kind of like everything, we are already divine in ourselves, in the fact that we experience this reality, and the fact that we s- sense the things that we do, the thing, the fact that we can appreciate beauty, for example, be that in a in a painting or a plastic bag in the wind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just use a clean. You know, like everything is already divine. We are already divine. All of us. Uh, so it kind of twists that around, and then we need to act out of love because everyone else and everything else is 
divine in it, in itself in a way. Right. Um, so how, how yeah. does this affect you in your, your day-to-day life? Because I, I know that Crowley wrote a bunch of books when he was trying to figure out what Thelema was, you know, in the early days after he transcribed the Book of the Law. Um, I had a huge, yeah, he had huge problems with the Book of the Law. Yeah, no, I mean, he, oh. he rejected it initially. Um, yeah, for many years. Yeah. Um, you, you've read Lieber Oz, I take it. You've read Lieber yeah. too. Um, but one of the more interesting ones is uh, Duty. Which is not yeah, a which is not a Lieber book because it was just intended for internal distribution in, in the AA uh, yeah. or the OTO I, I forget which. Um, but he he's essentially talking about um, there are four sections: your duty to yourself, your duty to others, your duty to mankind, and your duty yeah. to all other beings and things. I perhaps must actually have it right in front of my on my screen right now. Oh, <laughs> I actually nice. brought it up before. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, duty it. is a very interesting document, and uh, I'll include it in the show notes as well. Yes, I, I think duty is, um, depending on your relationship with the Lima, is very interesting. Yeah, even if you're not a Thelemite, there are some really interesting things in there to, um, to figure yeah. out. Even though, yeah, you know, even though some of it is just quotes from the Book of the Law, the commentary is, is often very interesting. I mean, be constantly vigilant to resent and on the alert to resist with unvanquishable ardor and vehemence of passion, unquenchable every attempt of any other being to influence you otherwise than by contributing new facts to your experience of the universe. That yeah. makes sense to me, even though it's really wordy and drawn out. It makes sense to me that you, you should probably reject what other people are telling you unless they're adding to your experience of the universe. If yeah. you're trying to take away from your experience, reject it. Yeah. I think uh, duty for me uh, is, yeah, it's a very interesting document. And it's something, all of these points is something I, I try to think about. It gets into counter tricky when he says establish the law of the EMS, the sole basis of conduct. Yeah, which is um, mostly because he, I kind of agree with him. Uh, but. It's just, you know, what he says, stuff he says to her makes sense, even though, I, I think, even though you're not a fellow, my you just believe in, in very much in, in freedom. Mm-hmm. It, makes same, it makes sense. Crime being a direct spiritual violation of law of Lima. Right. Um, the essence of crime is that it restricts the freedom of the individual outraged. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like murder restricts right to live. Robbery is right to enjoy the fruits of his labor, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't like that the wording of establish the law of Philemus as whole basis of conduct because that p- puts so much focus on the book of the law itself just through those words, right? Even though that's not really what he means. Yeah, no, I, I do see he's your not, point. He's not talking about promulgation of the book of the law as such, but he talks more about you know the idea of Philema. Mm. Uh, the book of the law talks about. Not Thelema, uh, it just says the law is for all, right? It doesn't say the law is only for Thelemites. Right. The law is only for the chosen and preferred. Love, uh, it's, it's not for, you know, for, for a ruling elite. The law is for all. That doesn't mean Thelema, the book of the law, the, the gods that, that the book of the law speaks about, all that stuff. That's, that's necessarily not for mankind. But the law, do what thou wilt to be the whole of the law, love is the law, love and will is for all of mankind. So if you read through duty, I think a lot of people will actually take pause when they come to, to that part. Sure. 
which is uh, part C, uh, your duty to mankind. Yeah. So don't take that too literally. Right. There, there's this one question that I've often, um, we've, we've talked about it very briefly off air at, at times, and I, I don't want to dive too deeply into it because it is a very uh, personal question, but mm-hmm. how does um, Thelema and your personal stance in politics work together? Because I find that sometimes they're quite <laughs> um, different. No, I don't think it is. Really? No, I'm much more left than Brecky is. Yeah, far more. Yeah. Uh, Thelema kind of... You, you pinko commie? I'm a, I'm a Swedish <laughs> pinko communist. Right. No, I'm not a communist. But no, no. I'm, I'm a pinko. I'm a typical pinko. I did tell you about the domain name that I bought, right? Which one? I own uh, communistparty.com. Right, yeah. <laughs> so if you want an email, like petter at communistparty.com, just tell me. Pinko at communistparty.com. Or that, or that. that. Um, Thelema, by the full kind of... I have friends, Thelemic friends, that are very much left mm-hmm. of the political spectrum. Like, way beyond me. And I have... Or and I know Thelemites who are practically gun nuts from the U.S. Right, like, because I mean, really on the surface, it feels like such a libertarian philosophy. It, yeah, it kind of lends itself very well to libertarian yeah. politics. What I see as a more of a strong state um, through leftish ideology and higher taxes and stuff like that. The way I see the state is supposed to be there for making sure that people are as free as possible and that they're, they're able to act without limit, uh, not too many limitations put on them. I know some people will say straight away, oh, we pay a lot of taxes in Sweden. Right. And I go, yeah, we do. But those taxes also mean we don't have to bother about stuff like health insurance uh, in the same way the U.S. does. So we have a, a, a single-payer system. Which works. The system works kind of well. The, yeah, I wouldn't go, say it does. I mean, yeah, we, well, we, pay, not, we pay higher taxes here in Sweden than many other countries that also offer universal health care. Yeah, so, but I'm kind of fine with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, ju- I just see the state, like a, st- a strong state that can benefit the people. Hmm. Not pulling back government and making it smaller like many right-wing conservatives would would like to do. Um, so I don't see any particular issues with mixing leftish. I'm not that left, but uh, philosophy with Flema. Right. Well, okay. I, I mean, I, I don't want to dive deeply into this because I, I do know that this could be a really long discussion <laughs> where, <laughs> where I would argue that taxation is, you know, taking away the fruits of your labor and not allowing you complete freedom to choose how your wages are being spent and so on and so forth. But it it's essentially it is just a philosophical question because I I forget who said it. Um it might have been Alan Watts back in the days or might even have been um 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 Wilson um where um, the opposite of a small truth is false, but the opposite of a big truth is also true. And I would say that political leanings are big truths. So leftist politics and rightist politics are both true in and so much that they are, they offer a complete uh, picture that works and is internally consistent. 
But it's not the only truth. The opposite is also equally true, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> We maybe should step away slowly <laughs> but surely from the political discussions. Because I, yeah. I get more and more of the outrage than you. Yeah, yeah, uh, you do. I, I'm yeah. very happy-go-lucky when it comes to politics. I have an opinion, but I'm fine with other people having different opinions. That's that's what makes yeah. And the I, world I get hold of like what is morally right. Oh, fuck uh, morals. Fuck <laughs> morals, man. There is no grace. There is no guilt. This is law. Do what I will. Exactly. I know, I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. You, you uh, but yeah. The... Look into. You can always. Uh, I think that the Wikipedia page on Thelema is quite good. Yeah, it, it's urban. in the show notes already. Yeah, so you can look that up through there. You can also look up Alistair Crowley through there. Uh, he's not a Satanist as mm -hmm. such. There is a really interesting talk on YouTube about Thelema and Satan. Okay. But uh, he's not what, he's not the wickedest man in the world. He did not kill children. He did, yeah, all of that stuff. Mm. Uh, send me, send me the know. talk so I can include it in the show notes as well. It's really, it's really good. It's really, really good. Right. Send me the link. Uh, but it might be a bit too much when starting out uh, reading about the Lima. Obviously. It goes very much into the theology of Alistair Crowley. Sure. Uh, but it can be fun to see. It's like two and a half, two and a half hours long. Is it called The Principle of Satan in Thelema? Yes. All right. That's found it. <laughs> it's really interesting. As, if as you soon know as you said the length, then I knew exactly which one it was. Yeah. If you know anything about Thleem already and want to know more about Crowley and his view on, on Satan, it's really interesting. Hmm. But he's not Satan as Christianity would describe him. Right, no. And the, the Satan character has such a long and difficult history, so it's, it's yeah. difficult to say exactly what Satan is at any point. Yeah, and I don't want people to confuse Thleem with, like, and Satanism or anything oh, like no, that God, either. No. Uh, LaBey was, of course, very inspired by Crowley, but... Yeah, that's a completely different thing. Hmm. So don't try to put those two together because you read the Satanic Bible when you were 16. Like, right. we all did. We, we did. <laughs> yeah, we kind of did. Yeah. Um, changing the topic slightly, you, you mentioned this uh, life is suffering that uh, the Buddha taught right. us. Right, yeah. And um, I, I, have a, I have a fundamental disagreement with this because I believe it's a misunderstanding. Right. Um, I don't think when when he said life is suffering i don't think he meant that you know we're born and then we suffer until we die um suffering in this case has to do with um attaching ourselves to um the belief that impermanence doesn't exist everything is impermanent everything is changeable and the buddha says that we suffer because things are impermanent because things are ever changing so if you're healthy you're happy, but eventually you're not going to be healthy anymore because you age or you get injured. Um, right. You have parents that love you and you're happy, but eventually your parents will die and then you stop being happy. And the reason why we suffer is that we try to cling on to things as they are, believing that they will never change. Right. And that is suffering. So the, okay. the idea for a practicing uh, for a practicing Buddhist, <laughs> I was going to say a practicing sufferer, sorry, a practicing <laughs> Buddhist rather, um, the, the practice has to do with uh, changing your perspective on impermanence, accepting that things that are here today might not be here tomorrow and probably won't be here tomorrow. And then you die. And yes, obviously, you know, that, that's one of the things that will change eventually. Yeah. 
So, you know, if you're sick, you have to know that you're sick before you want to seek the doctor's treatment. And only then can the sickness be cured. So in the, in the same way, we have to realize that while we're not sick, we have a, a perspective on life. We're, um, we grow up with a perspective on life that things will change, uh, that things won't change. Life right. isn't ultimate. Life isn't permanent. Life is full of change and therefore full of suffering. And right. um, once you've realized that change is, at, and our perspective on change is the cause for suffering, that's when you can start ridding yourself of that belief. Uh, and right. this is part of, um, again, when I was talking about the Eightfold Path, the, the noble Eightfold Path, um, I mentioned that right speech, right action, and right livelihood had to do with ethical conduct. And the more difficult part was concentration. And that's where right mindfulness and right concentration comes in, but also uh, right effort, which is slightly different. But in right mindfulness, that's when you're learning that, um, you know, if you're greedy, if you're um, um, constantly striving to keep what you own and so on, these mm -hmm. are the things that cause suffering down the line because you don't always get what you want. You don't always keep what you have. And right. Just ridding yourself of that basic um, attachment. Attachment, yes. Attachment yeah. is, is probably the best word for it. Yeah. Well, well, suffering is due. The, everything is suffering due to attachments. Right. Yeah. So you know um, everything you said. Right. Basically. Right. So happiness means peacefulness, non-attachment, freedom, purity, cleanliness, whatever. Right. So um, the highest aim of Buddhism is not to just break through the suffering, but to transform it into a life that has this peacefulness, joy, freedom, and purity. Just look at the Dalai Lama. He's always happy, peaceful, and pure. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on Twitter. Especially on Twitter. So, yeah, that, that's my, my pet peeve, because so many people think that Buddhism is a negative and pessimistic philosophy, but it isn't. It's pointing out that there is a negative, pessimistic thing that we can strive to overcome. Right. And not all people do so, of course. I mean, I'm guessing that only a handful of people ever rid themselves entirely of desire, which, you know, is one of the things that cause suffering. But it's um, just striving in that direction, even ridding yourself of 10% of your attachment, that makes a huge change to your life. And I, I know for a fact that, uh, I mean, both of my parents died within uh, three years of each other or three and a half years of each other. Yeah. And I know for for a fact that my sister suffered so much more from both of their deaths than, than I did. And not because I'm a cold-hearted sociopath, but because I, I accepted a lot quicker that they were here yesterday, but they're not here today. This is right. the way of universe, you know? Right. That, that's, that's what happens. Sure, I mourned, I was sad, and so on, but I, I came back a lot quicker than she did. And yeah. I'm... I'm guessing that's you know 99% of it is because of this thing of this uh, uh um practice of non-attachment right same thing with my uh, most recent girlfriend you know when we broke up back in early february i bounced back on the day and not because you know oh i didn't like her anyway ha huh, glad to be rid of her you know N nothing like that but because you know all right we had a good time but it's over now all right now i know right. this bounce back right. um so yeah life is not suffering attachment is suffering Right, yeah, but that, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I agree. I have spoken so much about Buddhism today. I like this. <laughs> that's, okay. that's, that's fine. I talked a lot about Dalima. Yes, you and did. not to forget Discordianism. Yeah, well, obviously. 
obviously. Yeah, this which you can look up on on Wikipedia as well if you want to. Is it a religion disguised as a joke or a joke disguised as a religion? It's who knows. It's both disguised as both. <gasps> so meta. It, it's funny though because I've dabbled in Thelema back in the days, and I, I finally found myself through uh, Buddhism. Uh, right. But we've both dabbled in Discordianism and still do. It's it's like <laughs> our religious touching point at this yeah. point. I came to Thelema through Discordianism. Discordianism to me is a unorganized Thelema. I see. Uh, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. In some ways, I love Discordianism still. It's Laughter is just laughter at the universe doesn't mean scorn. It's more laughing with the universe because yeah. it's it's bizarre. Like the universe is fucked up, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Humans are fucked up. No, oh, the way we uh, the way we act, and the way we do things, and the way we think that they're fucked up. And we can either kind of get sad about that, or we can just laugh about it. All right. And I try to laugh about it. Uh, I don't succeed all that often, but sometimes going back to the Discordianism and just reading through the Principia Discordia can be just a bit enlightening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking, of, uh, speaking of Discordianism, since I'm already on this Buddhist path, uh, there yeah. are a lot of similarities between Discordianism and the Rinzai school of Zen Buddhism. Okay. So um, the, the, the Rinzai school of uh, Zen Buddhism has a lot to do with absurdist interpretations of things. Is that where the laughing Buddha comes in? Um, that's a good question, actually. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I doubt it, because uh, the laughing Buddha predates Zen. Uh, I think the laughing okay, Buddha still yeah. is a Theravada Buddhism, but I'm, okay, I, I okay. can't... I just see the big you. smile right now. Right. Uh, no, Rinzai came uh, from uh, uh, Japan, 12th century. So it's, you know, okay. it's old, but not as old as the rest of Buddhism. Okay, um, but yeah, I'll put a link to the Rinzai school also in the show notes. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting thing in there that, um, kind of remind me of Discordianism at times, um, you know, with these, um, clever, but absurd statements and questions. Yeah. Yeah. Discordianism do a lot with that. The statement is false. Yeah. I love in Principia Discordia, there's a uh, part of a page with block letters saying this um, uh, this space is intentionally left blank, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I love. Yeah, because it isn't it, blank. It, has it is a blank. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Mm. Um, yeah, I, one of my favorite, when I, back in the Usenet days, one of my favorite news groups, together with alt.scordia and alt.slack, which is just a shit all, um, was alt.buddha is a short fat guy. Mm. Right. Which was basically an absurdist Buddhist uh, news group, which yeah. was a lot of fun. Might be able to find like archives of that on Google groups. Yeah, I'm looking now. It shouldn't be impossible. No. Uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah, I used to love that place. Hmm. Uh, might be able to find some old posts of mine if you look. Possibly. Alt.discordia back in Usenet was an amazing place. We had so much fun. I think some I've been looking through some of my posts there actually, which is still there because I signed it with my real name. Yeah, yeah, as, just, as one did back in the days. But as one did, yeah. It was good times and I've thought Discordia. Yeah, I've found a bunch of my old uh, posts by just you know ego searching my own name, and not just from news groups, but from uh, the old Fedonet days. Oh, because I was on Fedonet for several years before the internet. 
Wow. Yeah. I, that, I was not, I can say. I can admit that out. Hmm. But yeah, Usna was the shit. Really was. I found an interesting description of Discordianism here. Um, Discordianism is centered on the idea that both order and disorder are illusions imposed on the universe by the human nervous system, and that neither of these illusions of apparent order and disorder is any more accurate or objectively true than the other. I guess, in some ways. <laughs> it's, just, it's Discordianism. Like, who knows right. what the fuck is going on? <laughs> the Discordians don't know themselves. That's why Discordians usually say that we should stick apart. We should stick apart. We should stick apart. Right. I just love Discordianism. Read, read Principia Discordia. Uh, try to find a hardcover, not a hardcover, but try to find a, a printed copy mm-hmm. of the Principia Discordia. It should be readily available on Amazon. There's, it's not copyright, it's copyleft. Yep. So anyone can print copies of it and sell, basically. Also, uh, Discordianism, it doesn't arrange itself into churches or uh, cults. It um, divides itself into schisms. So they're, yeah. they're, they're open all the way from the beginning that, yeah, this is a, a schism or a cabal sometimes, but yeah, a schism. Yeah, we got into, I got into arguments about like serious Discordianism. Oh. What's the serious Discordian? Uh, stuff like that back in the day, like 96, 97. Um, but yeah, uh, Discordianism is awesome. Really is. Yeah. Anyway, we should wrap things up now. We're up on the hour mark. Yeah. It's been a good show. We've talked about us again and the things that we believe in and think about. I guess we did. Mm. I guess we did. And I I just want to leave people with one final thing. Um, Both Petra and I are huge fans of David Bowie. And uh, I found a cover of Life on Mars by a Norwegian singer called Aurora. Britannia is out of bounds To my mother, my dog and and it is absolutely amazeballs. So if you like David Bowie or the song Life on Mars, or if you just want to hear a, a beautiful interpretation of this song, link in the show notes. It's going to be the final link in the show note list. We, we've got like a dozen lists uh, links already. But, but really, check that one out. It was an amazing cover. And I had goosebumps and tears of joy just yeah. falling down my face as I listened to it. It was amazing. Uh, it was fantastic. And I just want to tell people to uh, find the Fnords in this episode. And uh, hail Eris. Hail Eris. And all hail Discordia. All hail Discordia. Sailors fighting in the dark.